Good morning. Welcome to Christmas time at New Hope. We began a new series of messages last Sunday entitled The Great Bible Doctrines of Christmas. We took a look at the virgin birth and we're going to take a look at the second of those great Bible doctrines this Sunday and we're going to talk about the blood atonement. The blood atonement. And so you can take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now flip over to Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, It says, And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So in the Bible accounts of the Christmas story, it is clear that the blood atonement, God's way of saving man, God's plan of salvation is wrapped up in that little baby in the manger. He would save his people from their sins. There is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In fact, I think you might be surprised as you listen to some of these lines from Christmas carols that we've sung for many, many years. Just see if you can't hear the blood atonement, the salvation message ringing out from them. From the carol, What Child Is This? Listen to this line. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh, come peasant king to own him. The king of kings, what? Salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. Yeah, the reconciliation, God and sinners reconciled. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Or how about... This one, the first Noel, it says, And let us all with one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord that hath made heaven and earth of naught, and with his blood mankind hath bought. How about silent night? Holy night, Son of God, love's pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace, Jesus, Lord of thy birth. O little town of Bethlehem, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. 
No ear may hear us coming, but in this world of sin, After song, the blood atonement is all over the Christmas story. God's way of saving man, the salvation of sinful man. That is the centerpiece of the Christmas story. You can see it in the gifts of the wise men. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold is a gift fit for a king. Frankincense was only to be used for the worship of God. Myrrh was a burial ointment. And so when this baby was born, they brought these gifts, recognizing him as king, they recognized him as God, they recognized him as Savior, at his birth. I believe one of the great Bible doctrines of Christmas is the blood atonement, that Jesus came to give us life so that you and I could be saved. That's the Christmas story. And you see, in order for you and I to be saved, Jesus had to die. Hebrews 9.22 says what? Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, no forgiveness of sin. So Jesus had to die. And so Bethlehem's baby came to shed his blood for the sins of all mankind. He came as the world's only hope for salvation. Mary and Joseph, they knew some about that. The angels told them what was going on. I don't know how deeply it resonated with them at first, but they knew some of it, the shepherds. They knew about it when the angel came and said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So they knew it. The wise men knew it. The gifts they brought showed us they recognized who this was. And yet, much to our sorrow, the majority of people in our world today don't know. They don't know, and they've missed one of the great Bible doctrines of Christmas, that Jesus came to die. Every place you see a nativity scene, every place you see a manger, that's a statement to the world that God is saying, I love you, I've made a plan for you to come and spend eternity with me in heaven. Matthew 20, verse 28, Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And you and I can only be saved through the blood of Jesus shed on Calvary's cross. That's why there's a battle today against the virgin birth, why there's a battle against the cross, why there's a battle against the blood atonement. People don't want us to know this incredibly great story, this incredible news that Peter told about in 1 Peter 3.18 when he said that Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. God's remedy for man's depravity is the blood-stained cross of Calvary. Jesus purchased our redemption. The angel said, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The Savior has been born. Christ the Lord. The life of the Gospels is the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, your life is in your blood, Right? If we drain all the blood out of your arteries and veins, you'll die. I guarantee it. You won't live without your blood. And likewise, folks, if you take the blood out of the Bible, this is just a book full of worthless ink and paper. 
You can't take the blood out of the scriptures. It's the central part of the word of God. If you take the blood out of the Christmas story, then you have disassembled the Christmas story altogether. Because the great Bible doctrine of the blood atonement is there in the Christmas story. John the Baptist, John chapter 1 verse 29, he said, Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world, sure. On the last night with his disciples before the crucifixion, Jesus instituted what we know as the Lord's Supper. And he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. He said, even Judas Iscariot admitted that he said, I have betrayed innocent blood. Sure. So with his blood, Jesus did three things. He became three things. Number one, he became a substitute. He took upon himself what you and I deserved. He took our place and died in our place. He became our substitute. He became our redeemer. He redeemed us by buying us back from our slavery to sin. He paid the price we couldn't pay, and it was a debt that he didn't owe, and he became our reconciler. He brought us back into a right relationship with God. Another hymn we sing is, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I've never thought of that as a Christmas song, but I think it really is. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other felt I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And it's one of the great Bible doctrines of Christmas. So let me give you some reasons why the blood ought to be important to us. Number one, the blood ought to be important to us because the blood redeems us. It redeems us. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. There are three different Greek words in the New Testament for redeem. The first is agorazo. It just means to buy something in the market. The second is egoterazo. It means to buy you out of the market, literally to remove you from the market. And the third Greek word is latru, which means to let loose or to set free. Well, guess what? Jesus, our Redeemer, did all three of those. Here's what he did. He bought us. He then removed us from ever being sold again into the slavery of sin. And then he set us free once for all from the bondage of sin and death. He totally redeemed us. And so the blood ought to be precious to us because it redeems us. Secondly, it also blots out sin. In Isaiah 43, verse 25, God says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out or blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. So Jesus blots out our sins from the, from the presence and the remembrance of God. David wrote in Psalm 103, verse 12, that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. And it's the blood that does that. Thirdly, the blood ought to be important and precious to us because it unites us. It unites us. In Ephesians 2, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus... 
you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We don't have any unity outside of the blood of Jesus. That's why you can't have unity out here in the world with somebody who's not under the blood of Christ. But yet you can go halfway around the world and meet somebody that you've never met before. You know nothing about them. But if they're a Christian, if they're under the blood of Jesus, instantly you have a relationship. Why is that? Because the blood unites us. Fourthly, the blood makes peace. It makes peace in Colossians 1 verse 20. That God through Christ reconciled all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. So the blood of Christ satisfies all of God's just demands for judgment on our sin. God is a just God. He must punish sin. He must. He can't just say, oh, okay, it's all right. I know you didn't mean it. Come on with me to heaven. That's not God. He's not going to say that. That's against his character. I think there are too many people in our world today that live with this false hope that God is like some paternal grandfather that is so nice that if we're just good enough and do more good deeds than bad deeds, that God's just going to overlook our sin and say, oh, okay, just come on in. And you'd be surprised how many people believe that their good works get them into heaven. Banking on the fact that God is this grandfatherly type on a rocking chair on the celestial porch of heaven. And that when we come walking up into eternity, he's going to look at us and say, yeah, I know you didn't mean it. Come on in. You know, I didn't have a grandfather like that. Maybe you did, but I didn't. But... You need to know that God is not a grandfather. God is our Father. And as our Father, as our holy, heavenly Father, He has to hold those standards throughout all of eternity. The standards of righteousness, standards of holiness. And if He didn't, it would be against His character. He could not be God if He's just going to say, Yeah, I know it was wrong, but I'll forgive you anyway. Come on in. He's not going to say that. And the only people that are going to go to heaven are those who have been covered by the blood of Jesus. Because God is a just God and he must punish sin. Now he does love us. He doesn't want to punish us. But he knew the price of sin had to be paid. He knew we could never pay it. And so he sent his own son who died on the cross, shed his blood so we could be saved. And when Jesus died on that cross, folks, it satisfied all the just demands for all the sins ever committed in the history of mankind. All the sins in the past, all the sins of the future, for all time, for all men and women, God satisfied that with the blood of Christ. His blood makes peace. Here's a fifth thing. We ought to love the blood because it justifies us. It justifies us. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, it says, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Now you remember what it is to be justified, right? The little play on words. It's just as if I'd never sinned. And that's what he does. That's what the blood of Christ does. 
He makes it just as if we had never messed up, just as if we had never failed, just as if we had never made a mistake. He declares us not guilty, even though we are, just as if we had never sinned. You talk about a blessing. That's what the blood does for us. It justifies us. It also ought to be important to us and precious to us because it cleanses us. It cleanses us. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, If we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Imagine if you're a detective and you come upon a crime scene where the people have been caught in the act and somebody has either shot someone or stabbed someone to death and there's blood all around. What will the guilty party want to do besides get away? They'll want to make sure they've got the blood completely off of them, right? They don't want the blood on them. They, they don't want that incriminating evidence all upon them, so they're going to get the blood completely off if they can. But when it comes to Christ, you want the blood all over you. Completely covered, totally immersed from head to toe in the, in the blood of Jesus. Why? Because it cleanses us. How can blood make us white as snow? I don't know. But I'm going to enjoy it. All right? And that's, and that's it, folks. Who can you touch with the gospel of Christ? Who do you know that needs to come under the blood of Jesus? Because you understand, don't you, that people that are not under the blood are not going to go to heaven. I mean, that's the way God has it planned. So we want to be under the blood. We want to be totally covered by the blood of Jesus. That's the only way we can go to heaven because that's the only thing that can cleanse us. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you messed up. It doesn't matter what crime you've committed. It doesn't matter how you failed. The blood can cover that. And it'll make you white as snow. It cleanses us. Here's the seventh thing. It gives us boldness. It gives us boldness in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. It says, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And it continues to go down through those verses there. The blood gives us boldness. You see, in the Old Testament times, in the tabernacle later on in the temple, that particular building was comprised of two parts. You had the holy place and you had the most holy place or the holy of holies which contained the Ark of the Covenant separated from the holy place by the veil. Now priests could enter the holy place. Ordinary people like you and I couldn't. But only one man could enter the most holy place, the holy of holies. That was the high priest one day a year on the Day of Atonement, but not without blood, which he had to sprinkle upon the mercy seat upon the Ark of the Covenant. It's the only one that could go in there. But when Jesus died, the Bible says that the veil in the temple was what? Rent in two from top to bottom. 
In other words, that was God's way of saying, there is nothing holding you back any longer from coming into my presence. We have access to God. God says, you can ascend my holy mountain. You can come into my presence. What made that possible? The blood of Jesus. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, it says here in Hebrews 10, verse 19. I love that Old Testament story of Esther, where she had to go to the king. She knew the lives of the entire Jewish nation depended upon her. It's a great story. And Mordecai tells her, you've got to go, who knows, but that you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So she went into the presence of the king. And back in those days, even if you were a relative, if the king didn't extend his scepter, you, you could be killed. And she had no guarantee, no promise, no assurance that if she walked in there in the sight of the king, that it wouldn't cost her life. But she said, I've got to go. And she walked into the presence of the king. And the good news is that he extended his scepter. You know, there are a lot of people who think God is like that. They think, I can't come to God. I can't come into his presence. I've messed up so much. I've, I've done so many wrong things. There's no way I can ever know God or come close to God. And yet God extends the scepter to you in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, our savior. And by his blood, you have the boldness to go right into the presence of God. And by the way, the temple of God is you. He dwells in your heart. God doesn't dwell in temples made with human hands. He dwells in the temples of our own bodies. And he literally will come here and we don't have to be afraid of him. We have boldness because of the blood. Here's an eighth thing. The blood ought to be important and precious to us because it frees us from sin. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. If you're still struggling with sin problems, maybe you're not under the blood. Because when you're under the blood, when Jesus Christ saves you and makes you white as snow, he cleanses you. He forgives you. The blood will free you from all your sin. It breaks that umbilical cord to the devil and his sin. So have you been freed from sin this morning? And maybe you think, well, I still feel chained to sin. Well, you need to get back under the blood. You know, as Christians, we still sin from time to time. Hopefully it's not a habit, okay? But when we do sin, if you look back there at 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What is it that's the cleansing agent? It's the blood of Jesus. His blood will free us and cleanse us from sin. And then the last thing this morning, the blood ought to be important and precious to us because it makes us holy. It makes us holy. In Revelation 7, verse 14, I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 
white, always a symbol of purity and holiness in the scriptures. The blood makes us holy. The hymn writer writes, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And there is no way that you and I could ever be holy or righteous on our own account. All of our righteous deeds are like what? Filthy rags to the Lord, so Isaiah the prophet wrote. Even in our best moments when we do our best things, the right things, say the right things, do the right things, we still mess up. But His blood can make us holy. Where our failures end, His blood begins and His blood can make us holy. And the only people that will be in the presence of God are those that are under the blood. You open up the book of Revelation and all that happens in that book, there's this incredible number of people that can't be numbered, can't be counted. They're all around the throne of God declaring, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If you want to be a part of that group, you've got to be under the blood. Billy Sunday tells a story that years ago there was a steamer crossing the Atlantic a terrible storm arose, the lifeboats were swept away, the boat began to take on water because there was a hole in the engine room. And the crew pumped and pumped, but the boat continued to sink. So the captain called the crew together and he said, by my estimates, we've got about 24 hours before we'll be at the bottom of the sea. Is there one man who will volunteer to go down and plug the hole? It's about as large as a man's arm, and with some rags and cloth, you can stop it. But all the men knew that whoever would do it would die. So the men replied, we'll pump harder. And so they pumped and pumped until they nearly fainted at their posts. The captain summoned the crew together and said, well, men, by my estimates, we've got about eight hours left. Is there not one volunteer who will volunteer his life for the crew and for the ship? And the men stood speechless, and then one stepped forward, and it was the captain's son who said, I will do it, sir. And he bid farewell, threw his arms around his dad, took a handful of clothing and rags, went to the hole, plunged down into the water, found the leak, stuffed his arm in the rags in the hole. The men continued to pump, and when daybreak came, they caught sight of his body as it would roll with the ship, but they entered the harbor in safety. And then Billy Sunday, that old preacher, he said, this old world sprang a leak. She was settling down into the depths of hell, and God stepped forward and asked for a volunteer, and out stepped his son. He said, yes, Father, I'll go. And that's what the Christmas story is all about, folks. The great Bible doctrine of the blood atonement, the centerpiece of the Christmas story, the blood of Jesus. When the children of Israel were getting ready to leave the Egyptian bondage that had enslaved them for so many years, the word spread throughout the city, get ready, kill the lamb. Tonight the angel is going throughout the lamb, land and he's going to kill the firstborn in every home where the lamb's blood's not on the doorpost. And that night, that destroying angel, that death angel, drew his sword. The gates of heaven swung open. He made his way to earth. He came to the homes with the blood on the doorposts, and he passed them by. But he came to the homes where there was no blood, and he went right in.
and the death and the devastation that was revealed the following morning brought national grief and horror to all of Egypt. And it all could have been avoided. But they wouldn't get under the blood. And so if you're not under the blood this morning, I hope you don't leave this building today until you are. If you are under the blood, hallelujah. But the blood atonement of Jesus is all over the Christmas story. One of the great Bible doctrines of Christmas that we dare not miss. Jesus came to shed his blood to save us from our sins. And if you need to come under the blood today, you can meet me down front while we stand and sing. Mm -hmm. 